Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Welcome to the Monday edition. It is February 5th, 2024, and I'm sure it would be a lot more fun to talk about the Grammys. The performances last night, by the way, were fantastic. I personally didn't really jibe with the Travis Scott stuff, only because, I, you know what, I've probably never really been drawn to Travis Scott's music, and I'm going to sound like the cranky old white guy if I go any further <laughs> into that. I, I do actually like a lot of hip-hop. I just don't know that I, I feel that. <laughs> uh, that being said, there were some fantastic performances last night, and, and I'm sure a lot of folks are going to be talking about that anywhere else, so I will demure to them. Uh, I, I just couldn't help but note how interesting it was to watch as tens of thousands of celebrities were all packed into the, what's it called now? Crypto.com arena. That used to be the Staples Center. And then I guess they stopped paying checks, Staples. And so now Crypto.com writes checks to have it named after the America. Um, anyway, you had tens of thousands of celebrities indoors at Crypto.com Arena for the Grammy Awards broadcasting live last night. While there were, <laughs> were storm warnings and tornado watches going on outside throughout Southern California as they deal with uh, this atmospheric, what do they call it? An atmospheric river just this torrent of rain just pummeling Southern California right now. Although I, I, I would imagine that when it ended, uh, all the celebrities gathered underneath Miley Cyrus's hair so they wouldn't get wet, darting out to their limousines. Did you, I mean, just a head full of hair. If she's bringing big hair back, I, I'm, listen, I'm not a woman. I don't have hair. I shouldn't have a say in this. I don't know that I'm going to like this era if that's what we're looking at. Although we've kind of seen where men have been trying to bring back the soft perm mullet, and I don't know, it looks, looks good on some people. Anyway, uh, my name is Ron. Thank you for listening to The Ron Show here on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, wherever you podcast. We are in our new time slot, weekday mornings, by the way, 9 to 10 a.m. My afternoon commute listeners, no big deal. You can still listen. In fact, if that's what you're doing right now, you know that you're listening to The Monday Show. You can still listen to this show weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio's app and at AmericaOneRadio.com. It'll just be, most of the time, a replay of that morning's show. There may be some updates throughout the day. Something breaks, big news. You know, I'll dart back into the studio and update, ship it, and uh, it'll be exactly what you hear on the podcast as well, which you can listen to on any of your podcast platforms. I still plan on uploading to podcasts after that second airing. So after 6 p.m. Let's uh, dive into some really spirit-lifting stuff. <laughs> and yes, I'm being facetious. We begin with our brand new NBC News poll, which brings more warning signs for President Biden and his re-election campaign. Ah, uh, Okay, give it to us straight, Kristen. One of our pollsters tells us, we are looking at a, quote, presidency in peril. Mm. With the general election just nine months away, President Biden has declined on every measure since 2020, is struggling with key elements of his base, and now trails former President Donald Trump by wide margins on the issues voters say are most important to them. 
Y'all forgive me, I'm going to run to the kitchen real quick and pour a little Baileys into my coffee here because obviously I'm going to need it. Anyway, the good news is I got to look at Steve Kornacki for just a little bit. He's kind of nice. Anyway, uh, she goes right to him for a little analysis. He dives right in. Joining me now to take us through the numbers is national political correspondent Steve Kornacki. Steve, these are some truly stunning numbers. They really are, Kristen. And let's just start with the bottom line. When you ask folks, hey, if it's the general election and it's Trump versus Biden, in our poll, Donald Trump now leads Joe Biden by five points. Compare that to the last time we polled back in November. Trump was ahead then, but it was only by two points. How bad is your campaign when you are trailing someone who is just convicted of sexual assault by a jury had to it's made to pay out an 83.3 million dollar decision because of that finding is on trial for election interference in Georgia fraud in New York has stolen classified doc allegedly classified documents and is due to be on trial for that in DC right no, no, Florida, and then in D.C. for, allegedly, inciting an insurrection. And you're trailing that guy by five points. This isn't me saying Joe Biden be a better president. This is me saying Biden-Harris, DNC. Are you seeing this shit? Because uh, it's a little scary, y'all. Not gonna lie. I'm sleeping with the lights on. This is... This is starting to, and, and I don't know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, Ron, it's nine months out. There's a lot that can change. There's a lot that can't change, too. Joe Biden's age cannot change. We live in a country that is an optics country. It is what it is. I was watching one of these social media accounts that, it's left of center, but it kind of goes in on, on the Biden administration when they take a pivot to the right on something. For example, immigration. Uh, this is a subject that Biden is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Because if he gets stricter at the border, those on the far left, they get upset and they peel off. They're not approving of him. He goes to the right and, well, you see what's happening. They're not going to take up that bill in the House. But just the fact that he's showing those in the center and the right that he's willing to deal with the border. But it requires a deal. You have to deal to get anything passed in Washington, right? He's not winning anybody over in the middle or the right. So again, you may be thinking, Ron, this is nine months out. What are you worried about? February 4th, 2020, Biden was up by five and a half percent. Biden won the popular vote by four and a half percent. I'm reading from Bill Crystal's tweet yesterday about this, by the way. Uh, February 4th, 2016, polls had Hillary Clinton up by three and a half percent. She won the popular vote by two percent. I mean, I'm not saying that this, and, and yeah, that's a that's a small sample, but we've seen this before. We've seen that we've seen where the numbers are what the numbers are, and the numbers aren't good. <sighs> Let me look at Steve Kornacki a little bit more. Roll the tape. 
And it's even more significant when you look at it this way. Over time, we have been testing for five years now, going back to 2019, a Biden-Trump matchup. Remember, 2019, 2020, Joe Biden led. He led big in every single one of our polls. Mm. For the first time in November, Donald Trump polled ahead in our poll. And now at five points, this is the biggest lead NBC has ever had in 16 polls for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. And of course, undergirding all of this is this question of he is the incumbent Joe Biden. We ask voters, what do you think of the job he's doing? And look at that, Kristen, 37% approve and now 60% disapprove. Okay, listen, okay, let's, let's, get, let's dial into that. That is messaging and marketing for sure. The country is in way better shape today than it was the day Joe Biden was sworn into office. It's inarguable. Crime is down. The economy is in great shape because his administration got in and organized a disorganized COVID vaccine rollout. We don't have COVID-19 ravaging the country and we don't have ERs and hospitals storing bodies in body bags in trucks out back. And I know the next nine months, although it'd be nice to start seeing more of it, we're going to start getting pummeled with all of the good stuff that's been happening since Joe Biden took office. And I'm sure they're going to roll a sizzle reel of bullshit that we dealt with when Donald Trump was president. I mean, it's it, it shouldn't be that hard to forget just three and a half, four or five years ago, the fluster cluck that was the Trump presidency. But the American voter seems to have forgotten it. Anyway, back to uh, Kornacki. Oh, Steve. We should say that is the lowest approval rating since former President George W. Bush's second term. Yeah, and it's put that in further context, too. Bush in his second term wasn't running for re-election. Yeah. Here's the presidents who were running for re-election in our poll starting their re-election year. What was their approval rating? Bush was over 50. He won. Obama was almost at 50. He won. Trump, four years ago, was 46. He lost. Look how low Biden's number is compared to those predecessors at this point. Their number's all much bigger than yeah. President Biden's. It, it shows you the yeah. improvement Biden has to make here yeah. in the coming months. Uh, the issues that are driving this, too, the economy, no surprise, we've been talking about it, but look at that advantage for Trump, 22 points. Wow. And securing the border here, folks, a very important Trump with a 35-point advantage. The economy is so striking, Steve, because jobs are up, inflation is down, voters aren't giving him credit right. for that, clearly. Yeah, there are a couple areas in here I think where Democrats see potential opportunities to grow Biden's support. Certainly, they are hoping the economy folks change their perceptions of it and start rewarding Biden for it. That's what they're hoping, certainly. Mm. How about this, though? Also mm. cautionary for the White House. Go back four years ago. It was two folks in their 70s running Biden versus Trump. And we asked then, do the candidates have the necessary physical, mental capacity? It was about even, 41, 38. Now, you ask it, 46% say that Donald Trump does just 23% when it comes to Joe Biden. And think Okay, and let's put a pin in that because, again, I'm going to go back to the fact that we live in a country that is an optics country, okay? Donald Trump doesn't look any less fit, although he's not fit, than he did three years ago. There, I said it. I mean, he looks like a bloaty, over-made-up sack of hot air, but he's always looked like that. I mean, he's looked like that for a long time. Donald Trump just, he, he's looked the way he looks, and it's, it's not the picture of health, but he's looked the way he's looked for quite a while now. 
Again, going back to the social media post I saw, there was one of these before-after clips that talked uh, about uh, Biden's immigration swing. That's what I was trying to get to, wasn't it? And in the before clip, when he was running for president in 2020, Joe Biden looked a certain way, and then they rolled a clip side-by-side of what he looks like now and what he's saying about immigration. And you can see just the three and a half. Listen, the presidency ages you, man. We saw Obama go from hip, dark-haired, no wrinkles on the face, youthful-looking president to, (laughs) I mean, he came out with gray hair, (laughs) y'all. The presidency ages you. Go look at George W. Bush, what he looked like in 2000, what he looked like in 2009 when he stepped out of the White House. The presidency ages you. Joe Biden's aged. I saw a clip of Bernie Sanders over the weekend talking about universal health care. Bernie Sanders looks the same as he did 15 years ago. What is that man eating and drinking? Because what's his regimen? He looks good for his age. How old is Bernie? He's 10 months older than Joe Biden and has not missed a step. And I'm not saying Joe Biden has when it comes to his cognition, his faculties in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Dude's out there riding bikes and taking walks on the beach and doing his thing, staying as vigorous and youthful as he can. And yet at the end of the day, these polls, they they show that they're more worried about Joe Biden's age than they are Donald Trump's. I would be curious to see polling that showed how America felt about Bernie Sanders at his age. Although I, I must confess, a lot of noise was made about Bernie Sanders' age in 2016. And a lot of that noise was from the left, by the way. These are some worrying numbers. They just are. And uh, until they change, I'm going to fetch about this stuff for the next nine months. The problem is, I don't think these numbers are really going to change all that much. There was one potential change in polling number that I thought was kind of interesting, but also a little sobering as well. Listen to this. We did ask this question, Kristen. If... One of these cases this year ends in a conviction, a felony conviction for former President Trump. Would that change your vote? 45% said that in that scenario, they vote for Biden. 43% for Trump. This is also something the Biden campaign obviously hoping for, although it's a long history in polling of asking folks about hypotheticals <laughs> and them actually reacting a little differently when it actually happens. Even if Donald Trump is convicted, it's only a 45-43 margin for Joe Biden at that point. And... We've seen the delay tactics, the look over here tactics, the whole Fonnie Willis, Nathan Wade thing, how that has been played. The justice system has been played by Trump and his dozens of attorneys. He's went through many, not that he keeps them. He just goes through them. They've cost him tens of, I'm sorry, they've cost his campaign donors tens of millions of dollars, $50 million spent so far through his campaign coffers for his defense you don't think he's gonna pay that do you and and yet there's only that two percent margin man if if i am the dnc if i am biden harris if i'm if i'm both of these organizations i'm huddled up today this morning trying to figure out what can we do about these numbers and if we can't do anything what is hear me out the contingency plan yes a contingency plan needs to be opined upon, drawn upon, planned on at this point in time. Sorry, I'm just saying. 
There's so much more drilling down to these numbers, which we'll do in just a minute, but it's time to start thinking about the contingency plan. Don't know that there is one. Don't know that I necessarily have one. I have ideas, but it's time to start thinking about the contingency plan because we're nine months out and America, we're expecting, and I don't want to carry this to term. I'd like to abort. Back after this, The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. If you are mad because you're listening, it's Monday morning on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, and you're thinking to yourself, this is not really the uplifting good morning, hey, let's go tackle the day kind of news you wanted to hear. I apologize, but polling is polling, and we have to pay attention to polling. I'm not saying we have to necessarily make decisions today on polling, but we do have to start thinking, I, again, believe about contingencies if I am Biden-Harris and or the DNC. 2016, the DNC decided, it was about this time, I believe, uh, we got to start working on something here because things aren't trending our way. And damn if they didn't put a plan into action and damn if that didn't succeed, much to the Bernie Wing's chagrin. Okay, so you know what? Maybe that's a bad example because they kind of managed to f*** that up. I'm I'm not saying... Okay, I firmly believe Bernie would have won. I do. I just... I I firmly believe that. I I think there was popular sentiment behind him. uh, And and I know what you're going to say. Oh, he wasn't winning majority of votes. Eh, Part of the problem was he wasn't really... And and his his campaign wasn't fantastic at this. And some of his voters were ill-informed about, you've got to register with the party. You've got to be ready to in some states, and, and and obviously the DNC was just sitting there going, well, we're not going to tell them to do it. And, and that's fine. That's, it's not the DNC's job to do that. 2016 may not be a good example, but it actually may be a good example because Hillary Clinton's poll numbers were never fantastic. They were never fabulous. The American people weren't exactly showing up to her rallies with the fervor that they were for Donald Trump and or Bernie Sanders. And the DNC was like, well, but she's, she's getting the most amount of votes within our party. Uh-huh. Joe Biden got 96% of South Carolina's voters uh, on Saturday. And folks in the Democratic Party are like, oh, see, the American people have spoken. South Carolinians are, are once again rallying behind Joe Biden. There were 150,000 people that showed up to vote, y'all. When I look back to 2020's numbers, and again, it's hard to care. They're apples, oranges, because this was a contested race back in 2020. But... 150,000 people showed up to vote in South Carolina on Saturday to affirm Joe Biden as the nominee. He had 262,000 votes in 2020. Bernie Sanders had 106,000 votes. If he'd have had 106,000 votes on Saturday, he'd have won. Tom Steyer. Remember Tom Steyer (laughs) running for president back in 2020? Tom Steyer had 61,000 votes. There's an enthusiasm problem, and Democratic Party folks don't seem to be concerned about it. Well, I am. Here's what else I'm concerned about. Here, just a couple other things to get yeah. through on the foreign policy again. Israel, Hamas, center stage in the you know in the world uh, picture right now. Overall, big disapproval for Biden on foreign policy, particularly on Israel, Hamas. That's particularly acute among the youngest voters, mm-hmm. 18 to 34 year olds. We have them tied. Trump versus Biden, and uh, a lot of those Biden voters, 18 to 34, 
They say they don't like Biden. They just don't like Trump more. It's this type of erosion among these key groups that really worries Democrats. And it, it is the area, too, we say, where Democrats think there might be opportunity. They think they can get more young voters motivated mm. to vote, maybe not by being for Biden, but by being against <laughs> Trump. This is one area they think they can improve on and maybe make this race a little different. But the other one to key in on, too, independence. Trump looked at that with a 19-point advantage. Also, keep in mind, that shows you a lot of independence look very open to potentially another choice if something were to emerge. That's right. 4829 means that, let's do my math, that's 77. That means there's 23% of the electorate in, amongst independents who are like, do I have to choose between these two? Ugh. And also, among white voters, Trump with a big lead, black voters, Biden with a big lead, but want to point this one out, Hispanic voters. Wow. Trump. With a one-point advantage, we've been asking, would those gains he made four years ago stick? Our polls suggest they certainly have, and they've maybe grown. In the coming days and weeks, I'm going to be reaching out to some Hispanic American voter advocacy groups and individuals to drill into why that polling has shifted. It was 59-38 for Biden in 2020. Again, now Joe Biden with a 1% lead, you know, margin of error. No big deal. But that's still a big swing. Certainly, this, too, is about messaging because the Biden administration has tried to handle immigration from a humanitarian point of view and deal with root causation, something that I think all Latin American voters would get behind, while the other guy is talking about them, their kind, air quotes, poisoning the blood. And on that note, we have to talk more about the immigration bill that's likely not going to be voted on. When the Rancho returns after this on America One Radio. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One radio. All right, welcome back. So I want to dive into the immigration bill that doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of getting even a vote in the House. And Speaker Mike Johnson isn't going to do that because he knows it'll pass. He knows that there are enough Republicans who would peel off and vote for the damn thing. And since it's already passed, the Senate would be signed into law and would aid the Biden presidency heading into 2024. Maybe not, actually, because, again, I I think a lot of folks have just kind of made up their mind uh, how how they're either not going to vote or how they are going to vote. See, I think that's part of Biden-Harris's problem here. There are a lot of voters, center, left of center, who just aren't going to vote for him. They have made up their minds. We've seen the video clips that have just ramped up anxieties from Arab American voters in swing states like Michigan who cannot come to terms with voting for Joe Biden. They call him Genocide Joe. I think it's an unfair affix of a term to an individual. I think he's tried to be as diplomatic as possible to one of our stronger allies without being overtly meddlesome, but he may have behind closed doors and back channels been berating Netanyahu, and he's he's talked about stopping the flow of money and arms to Israel as a result, and he's tried to walk both but there's 20 some thousand dead palestinians in gaza and we keep seeing all the horrific things that some in the israeli military are doing and we can say oh that's those are just rogue but but there it's it's a little bit like we talk about culture issues within law enforcement and when when bad cops do things oh that's just a rogue cop but there's a 
there's a there's a hint of a culture there that allows that. Uh, I believe there's a hint of a culture within the Israeli military that allows for, I don't know, why are we destroying olive trees and orchards and farmland in Gaza as a result of, are you telling me that Hamas is hiding in the tree? That they're <laughs> hiding in the soil? I think President Biden has tried to do a lot with regards to the student loan crisis, and he's been stonewalled at just about every turn, and still he's managed to accomplish He's managed to chip away at that. He's got to get some credit for that, right? No, there. It's it's it, it's all or nothing with some voters. He hasn't been able to do anything. Well, I say anything about guns. He's actually passed a, a pretty meaningful bipartisan agreement when it comes to gun policy. He's even signed executive orders to deal with strengthening red flag laws. To some, it's not enough. We could sit here and talk about the number of issues where. President Biden has actually delivered at least somewhat 50, 60, 75% of the way on issues that are important to those on the left, and it's not enough. Or, yeah, but, dot, dot, dot. And that's where the degradation comes in. He's never going to win over those on the right. He's just not. I mean, there, there we've seen, I mean, J.D. Vance is a prime example, Senator from uh, Ohio. J.D. Vance was a never-Trumper. J.D. Vance is all in on Trump now. We, I think that's where some degradation occurs, too. There are those who were never Trumpers who are now, you know what? We're seeing way too many electoral losses for our party since Joe Biden was sworn in. Yeah, 2022 really hit him on the chin. And they're not correlating that to Donald Trump. They're correlating that to, hey, we, we can't continue to let this party win and give this guy another four years because here's the dirty little secret. He's getting shit done, and that doesn't make the GOP look good. It just boggles my mind that when America has a choice between two parties, it's a crapshoot. Have you guys not been paying attention to the comedy show going on within the GOP? They have been beating the drum about an immigration deal, and they have an immigration deal, and now they're all, well, no, we're not putting that up for a vote because we're not about solving problems. We're about politicking off of them. Never mind that it might benefit Joe Biden. I'm not sure those who are taking these polls actually pay attention to when things get solved in this presidency. I think they just see, old man, got to go. So anyway, I'm going to read you two Twitter threads about this immigration bill. One is partisan, the other is not. In fact, I would go to say that maybe the other one is partisan too, but just from an opposite perspective. First, there's Senator Chris Murphy, who was instrumental in getting this law crafted, this bill crafted, I should say, in the Senate, on a bipartisan measure, by the way, with one of the more conservative senators in the Senate. He writes last night, minutes ago, the text of the bipartisan national security funding bill was released. It funds Ukraine, Israel, and humanitarian relief. It secures our border and reforms our asylum law. In this tweet thread, he goes in. One, as the co-author of the immigration provisions, here's a thread on the key elements. First, it would be easy to just keep immigration and border policy as a political cudgel for another 40 years, but politics at its best is about finding bipartisan compromise on the toughest issues. That's what we've done here. Here's a snapshot in the bill. A quicker, fairer asylum process. No more 10-year wait. Claims processed in a non-detained, 
non-adversarial way in six months. A slightly higher asylum screening standard at the border. Also, no more waiting for work permits. Most asylum seekers can work immediately. A brand new right to legal representation for all immigrants. Remember when Trump denied lawyers to victims of the Muslim ban? Never again. And the first ever government paid for lawyers for young, unaccompanied minors. A long-standing injustice righted. A requirement the president to funnel asylum claims to the land ports of entry when more than 5,000 people cross a day. Let me read that again. A requirement the president to funnel asylum claims to the land ports of entry when more than 5,000 people cross a day. The border never closes, but claims must be processed at the ports. This allows for a more orderly, humane asylum processing system. But, important checks on that power. It can only be used for a limited number of days per year. It sunsets in three years. Emergency cases that show up in between the ports still need to be accepted. The ports must process a minimum of 1,400 claims a day. You can't reduce arrivals at the border without allowing for more legal immigration. So, more visas. 50,000 extra employment and family reunification visas each year for the next five years. And a brand new visa category to allow non-citizens to visit family in the U.S. A clarification of how humanitarian parole is used at the land borders, but no changes to the president's ability to bring in vetted, sponsored migrants through the program known as CNHV. That is the Cuba, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Venezuela parole. Important, too, because we have sanctions against Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. We, we, we make things worse in those three countries, and then we have folks in this country who support those sanctions, by the way, who also want to limit migration from those countries when it's inhospitable economically for folks to live there. I, 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 can't, I can't figure out how you bow tie that. Chris Murphy continues, a new pathway to citizenship for Afghan parolees, the Afghan Adjustment Act, and the children of H-1B holders. Those kids are often currently subject to deportation when they become 21. The bill helps fix the border and reform our broken asylum system, but it doesn't deviate from our nation's core values. We are a nation that rescues people from terror and violence. We are a nation that is stronger because of our tradition of immigration, period, stop. That's Chris Murphy, Democratic senator, co-author of the bill. I want to read to you from national Fox News correspondent, Bill Malugan. He's based in L.A. He runs through this for Fox News and gives a fair assessment of of this bill. He tweets, my initial highlights from the border deal. No amnesty or legalization of anyone already in the U.S. illegally. The right should like that. Funds an increase in ICE detention capacity to approximately 50,000 from the current 34,000. The right should like that. At seven-day rolling average of 5,000 encounters per day, or 8,500 encounters in a single day, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, is required to shut the border down and turn away anyone who crosses. No new asylum claims will be allowed and anybody crossing will be removed. Would end the whole idea of, I made it to the U.S. soil, you have to process me. That would be over. Border Patrol would not process the illegal crosser and they would be removed. No asylum claim permitted unless it's made at a port of entry. 
you know, legally. This does not mean 5,000 are, quote, allowed in before this authority kicks in. Single adults would be detained. Families would be released via ATD. That would be alternatives to detention. And asylum cases would be fast-tracked to months rather than years under a new rapid and expedited expulsion system. Those who fail would be quickly removed from the U.S. Those who initially pass would be released with work authorization and 90-day supervision until final asylum claims is determined. The shutdown authority doesn't drop until crossings decrease significantly in the days following the shutdown. Significantly tougher asylum requirements and a higher credible fear standard, including three bars to eligibility. Criminal history, could they have resettled in another country on the way to the U.S.? And the third being, could they have resettled somewhere else in their own country? Just saying you're scared to return home will no longer be enough in initial interviews. It appears that the legislation would move asylum claims decisions away from immigration judges and instead have them be handled by USCIS. That is the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services Division. Again, this is from National Fox News correspondent Bill Maluganen. He continues, $1.4 billion in FEMA funding available for disbursement to non-government organizations, nonprofits, and municipalities, but some of that money doesn't unlock until key border security metrics are hit with ICE detention beds, ICE and Border Patrol new hires, and at least 1,500 deportation flights. This bill ends the use of parole releases via CBP-1 app and ends parole for illegal crossers between ports of entry. This bill keeps humanitarian parole as it was originally intended, you know, for medical procedures, court cases, etc., and keeps the current Biden administration parole program in place for Cubans, Haitians, Venezuelans, and Nicaraguans. It allows for 50,000 new visas over five years, funding to hire hundreds more ICE deportation officers, Border Patrol agents, and USCIS asylum officers, and greatly increases the number of deportation flights. These are things that the right should be excited about. It's, it's not nirvana, but it's better than what we have. They should like this. Bill Malugan continues, no, accomp- no unaccompanied minors can be removed, and some of these minors will receive attorneys either pro bono or taxpayer-funded. It ends some catch and release, but not all. Families and unaccompanied minors would not be detained. DHS will have 90 days to set this new system up before it takes effect. 90 days, y'all. That's not nine months. That's not nine years. That's not a slow roll. 90 days, three months to get this set up and get it into effect. And just passing the bill into law is a message sent throughout Latin America. Yo, it's a lot tougher. It's a lot tougher. You you may want to consider before you take your month's journey to get there, you you may just wind up right back where you are. Do you really want to take that chance? And that has an effect. Bill Malugan continues in the tweet, there is a provision in the bill that would allow the president, whoever the president is, to suspend the shutdown authority. It says, authorizes the president to suspend the border emergency on an emergency basis for up to 45 days if it is in the national interest. He gives context. Uh, The border has seen at least 5,000 encounters almost every single day the last couple of years under this president. If this bill were signed into law, the border would likely be shut down on the first day it takes effect. He continues, Fox is told by the architects of this legislation, the status quo right now is when the border is overwhelmed, quote, release everyone. They say this bill switches that to when the border is overwhelmed, remove everyone. 
again, I'm thinking this is what the right wants. Why is Mike Johnson upholding this? This legislation has provisions in it that will upset border hawks and immigration activists at the same time. That is the hallmark of good bipartisan compromise, y'all, when nobody is happy on either side, but something gets accomplished. He wraps his tweet by saying, Now we wait to see how both Democrats and Republicans respond. So far, many House GOP members have expressed displeasure, and at least one Democratic senator, Senator Padilla, has as well. I was reading a little further down this one question. Uh, does this bring back DNA, DNA testing, or are we going to see a rise in children being kidnapped so that single men can use them to pretend to be families? Bill Malugan responds to that question. They have money in there for DNA testing of migrants in Border Patrol custody. <laughs> so naturally, Speaker Mike Johnson tweets, I've seen enough. This bill is even worse than we expected and won't come close to ending the border catastrophe the president has created. As the lead Democrat negotiator proclaimed under this legislation, the border never closes. If this bill reaches the House, it'll be dead on arrival. Now pair this bill with what the Biden-Harris administration has been doing since February of 2021, which is to deal with the root causation of migration in Latin America to our border. Economic, educational, political stabilization in countries that we have had our fingerprints all over in destabilizing more than 55 military incursions in the last century and a half. Trying to undo damage done by us militarily and through corporate means as well. That's responsible governance. That's how you get things fixed. Republicans want mass roundup of people in the country already and sent back at whatever expense that's going to be. That's going to be crazy expensive. And then slapping up a wall and saying no one else is allowed in. It's just like someone being my age and thinking, oh, I don't need to go to the doctor every f three or four months for routine checkups or an annual physical or I feel fine. If I don't see a problem, there's not a problem. Slap up a wall, get these people out of here, and let's just go about our lives. The world is on fire on the other side of the wall, y'all. We've got to help deal with some of that destabilization. Again, a lot of it, our creation. But again, we live in a country full of voters that don't get a proper education on American history and Latin American history and our role in it to be able to connect these dots and say, well, we had a role in this. We should have a hand in fixing it. That would be the Latin American version of CRT, and we can't have that either. I'm not absolutely crazy about this bill, but I think it handles our border situation in a humanitarian way. And I love hearing speeding up of the processes to have folks vetted. I can find no fault with that, as long as we continue dealing with root causation at the same time. And I see or hear nothing that says that we wouldn't continue to do that. Uh, sometimes, again, this is about messaging and marketing, though, and we haven't heard a lot. I I'm the one talking to you about this root causation program that's been in place since February 2021. Are you hearing much about it from the Biden-Harris administration? Eh, see, that's a messaging problem. Governor Brian Kemp, Governor Greg Abbott, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, they're all about messaging, though. Preening and posturing at the border over the weekend. We'll dive into that when the Ron Show returns on America One Radio. Welcome back to the Ron Show. Final segment for Monday, February 5th, 2024. A lot of local stuff I should have touched on today, and I just... Uh, national issues and polling and this bill, it's... Uh, uh, and I'm going to get to Brian Kemp preening and posturing at the border as well. Uh, let me go over a couple of quick headlines real quick. We learned over the weekend that Atlanta is going to host eight 2026 World Cup soccer matches, including one of the semifinal matches. That is huge. That is going to be so huge. The semifinal will be uh, July 15th. There are going to be uh, matches here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, June 15th, 18th, 21st, 24th, and June 27th in the group stage. 
a knockout round match on July 1st, uh, round of 16 match July 7th, and again, that semifinal on July 15th. And the cool part for me is like they're actually going to have grass trays. Actual grass will be put in Mercedes-Benz Stadium uh, beginning in February. Tickets will start going on sale for that uh, September 2025. Very exciting. Before the I'm sorry, before the televised Grammys last night, Killer Mike, Atlanta's very own Killer Mike, won three Grammys and apparently somehow afterwards got in a physical altercation and got handcuffed and carted off. <laughs> he says he's fine, though. He says he's three Grammys good. In today's uh, political Georgia morning uh, podcast blog, I guess we call this, uh, they point to Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones who could still be charged in the Fulton County uh, a case for boosting former President Donald Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. But that hasn't stopped him from taking some swipes at DA Fonnie Willis uh, amid the election interference case that she has brought against Trump and 18 others. He decided on the Ben Burnett Show podcast to criticize for the uh, Criticized Fonnie Willis over this personal relationship that she confessed to last Friday. Helka Seltzer, please. Uh, anyway, he says, that thing has been a complete circus, and I'm not even shy about it. For three years now, she's used her office for nothing but self-promotion and what looks like, based on these allegations that are out there, it looks like she's been prosecuting for profit. The AJC continues, he called Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor, Willis' special friend, and suspected the allegations of financial misconduct brought by a Trump co-defendant were the, quote, tip of the iceberg of what they've spent down there. They do point out, however, separately, our AJC colleague Mark Neese reported that Jones allegedly sought access to election computers in Butts County after the 2020 election. It's an effort that, if successful, would have been illegal, according to emails among state election officials that were shown in court. Burt Jones out there, just Burt Jones and y'all. All right, Governor Brian Kemp, more than a dozen other Republican governors at Greg Abbott's urging in Texas at the southern border. So Brian Kemp was all over social media over the weekend, shooting videos, posturing, of course, not doing anything substantively. Did we discuss the immigration bill that his party is blocking in the House? Hey, good afternoon. Just had a great briefing here at the Texas Department of Public Safety from uh, the Adjutant General of the National Guard, uh, the Border Czar for the state of Texas, and Governor Abbott. There's 14 governors here today standing with Texas. Uh, we're headed to Shelby Park now in Eagle Pass, Texas, and we'll give you an update after our press conference. Next clip. All right, latest update, everybody. We just finished our press conference here in Eagle Pass, Texas, uh, right on the border, as you can see, uh, letting people know that Joe Biden has failed to secure the border. It's made the country less secure. It's made states and governors like me have to deal with fentanyl, human trafficking. Just the stories we heard in our briefing today were incredible. Uh, it's time for President Biden to act, and if he doesn't, I know that Governor Abbott and a lot of other governors will. So have a good afternoon. Hell of a sign off. This sucks and we can't do nothing and they're not doing nothing and we'd like to do something different if we was in charge. Y'all have a good afternoon. Good Lord. Didn't mention the bill again that uh, Speaker Mike Johnson is purposely holding up in the House that we all know would pass if it was put to a vote that would then wind up on the president's desk and sign to start handling this in a bipartisan compromise. Didn't mention that, did he? 
Watch these clips. Watch the press conference. No mention of the woman with the two children swept down the river who died in the water because CBP wasn't allowed to get to them. But they're pro-life. No mention of the barbed wire in the water that would gash up and potentially kill folks who are trying to cross. But they're Christian. Jesus talked about welcoming the stranger, but they're Christian. Uh, what what next? Landmines? Are we going to put landmines, uh, you know, so folks crossing can lose limbs? You know, I, I mean, just me suggesting that there are right-wingers would be like, oh, that's a great idea. But they are God-loving, Jesus-loving, evangelical Christians. Democrats, Biden-Harris, you got to get on messaging, y'all, because the other side... They're not looking to solve any of these problems. You guys are actually working to try and solve these problems, and we're seeing the effects where you're able to get your hands in the engine and work on things. The economy is in fantastic shape. COVID is under control. Crime is down. You've been working with the student loan issue. Or maybe start gathering and talking about a contingency plan and a fresh face that doesn't have their fingerprints on any of this in a positive or negative way so that we can start feeling better about our 2024 prospects. That's going to do it for the Ron Show. Show notes at ronshowatl.com. Back tomorrow, 9 to 10 a.m. on America One Radio. See you then.